Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen and grow as Dell questions the status quo, encourages you to think differently, and empowers you to make a better life. Get ready as Dell challenges core beliefs, seeks the truth, and reveals the roadmap to the lifestyle you really want. And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today, my friends, I want to share with you just a little hindsight. Hindsight is 2020, so it's a really good thing to look at sometimes. What I want to cover is where did I pick up my three rules of life? Um, the bottom line is, is that I made them up. I didn't read them somewhere. I didn't copy them from somebody. I didn't study them. I just figured them out. Life gave them to me and they've done me well. So today I want to share with you what those three rules are, but I think more importantly than what they are, how did I find them? What was it that threw them into my face and made them obvious to me? So let's get started right away. Rule number one, never lose money. Now, where did that rule come from? It came from the realization that I, like everybody else out there, thought that I could gamble and win. See, Dell, I'm not a gambler. I don't relate to that. Oh, you, you are so wrong. Everybody out there is gambling. They gamble with everything they do in life. You gamble with getting up in the morning and going out in the car and not getting killed. You gamble with, uh, you know, who you marry. My gosh, there's a, think of that one. I'm gambling this person is going to be good to me the rest of my life. That's, you know, that's quite a gamble. Um, a lot of people fail since about 75% of all marriages fail now. Most people out there have had one or two marriages. I think I've on my third. Uh, boy, that's a gamble. Phew, man, what a gamble. And we gamble with our money. Now, to be able to say to you that you gamble, I have to define what gambling is. Gambling is, in a lesser hated word, is speculating. You're speculating. And what are you speculating? You're speculating you can take a dollar of your money and put it in some type of an investment and that you'll get back two dollars or some various amount above the dollar you put in. Not ever thinking that maybe you don't even get the dollar back. You know, we all seem to think that we're the smartest person in the room, the sharpest blade in the drawer. I've heard them all. And we all believe that. We really do. I remember reading the Wall Street Journal. That was back when people actually read papers and stuff. Every day before I'd go to work trying to figure out what I was going to do, where I was going to move my stocks around knowing that I had no control over what actually happened, but not caring, thinking I was smart enough to figure out what was going to happen in a multi-trillion dollar investment called the stock market, as if I could figure out what all these things were doing, the people, the computers, and the computer trading, and all the stuff that goes on, the marketplace, the economy. And that you could look at all these things and read all this information about all this stuff. And that somehow, with my little pea brain, I could figure it out in a way that it was at least 51% successful. 
that I would end up 51% or better successful at guessing at what I should invest in. And then in the long run, I would end up, hopefully, able to retire with this large chunk of money. Then one day, the stock market moved against me and a large chunk of my money uh, was lost. And it didn't take three times for me. I know people that have lost 30, 40, 50% of their net worth two or three times in the stock market. And I know you're sitting out there right now going, gosh, he's talking to me. Yes, I am talking to you. I know people all the time. I get this. Dell, it was the second or third time that I lost 20 or 30 or 40% that I decided to get out of the uh, the stock market and it comes to you. And it only took one time for me. So if, if I'm that smart, it's smart enough to realize that I'm not that smart. And I was very quick to come to the understanding that I'm not that smart, which is probably pretty smart. Figure that one out, what I just said. The bottom line is, you're gambling. You're speculating. Now, people speculate on a lot of things. They buy houses and they speculate. We've been told our whole lives that your home is the largest investment you'll ever make. So what do you do? You say, well, I'm going to buy a house in a good school district because that's going to make that house go up in value. And then the school districts become controlled by the Democrats. And all of a sudden the school have grades that are Well, I saw it on TV the other day. Let me see if I can remember this. There is an entire school district that not one child was reading at their grade level and not one child could do math at their grade level. An entire school district. So you really believe that these school districts are valuable. And so you invest in a house in a good school district. And then your house goes down in value or doesn't go up in value. You know, what you're doing is you're thinking to yourself, there's going to be somebody out there that's dumber than I am. I buy something and for no reason, think about this, for no reason at all, they're going to pay me more for it. Now, if you really think about a house, a house goes down in value. Come on. You're a real estate investor. You can't believe that. Oh, I do believe it. My house goes down in value every single year. Now, I live in a 16,000-square-foot home, right? i got a 20-car garage. I've got just an ungodly size piece of real estate, outdoors. Landscaping is over the top. But that costs me money every single year. This thing goes down in value. Why? Because the paint wears off. The appliances get older. The roof wears out. And I have to spend massive money to maintain these things, to replace the appliances on a regular basis, to replace the pumps in the pool on a regular basis, to have the guy clean the pool, to have a guy mow the yard, have a guy trim the plants, to have people come in and even clean my house. My house is the biggest expense in the world. And if I just let it go and didn't lose money on it on a regular basis, it would go down in value. Not up, but down. I bought a condo. I always give people hard times about buying condos. I bought a condo in Houston. I paid $27,000 for a one-bedroom, 600-square-foot condo. 30 years later, I sold it for $24,000. And I lost about $100 a month negative cash flow on it for like 30 years. Now, 
Those aren't the exact numbers, but they're pretty close to what actually happened. In other words, I sold the condo after 30 years for less than what I bought it for. I lost money on it every single month. Because why? Because I was speculating that that condo was in a good association, a good part of town that was going to grow and become one of the most um, desired parts of the city. (sighs) Man, I've realized I'm just not that good. And so I got mad and said, I don't need to lose my money by giving it to other people. Giving it to a stockbroker, a financial planner, or the stock market, or a guy on the street investing it into woojus. I'm not giving my money to people. I would rather spend my money than give it away and let someone steal it from me. Let me lose it in a speculative investment. But once I made that decision that I wasn't going to let other people play with my money, then I realized, you know what, I'm I'm so conservative that I won't invest in something that I take care of and let it fail. I'm going to make sure it's a good investment on the front end, and I'm going to make sure that investment is taken care of during the interim while I own it. And hence, I started buying rent houses. And so I screened people. But here's the problem is that when you screen people, you're making judgments. Our society leads you to believe it's illegal to make judgments about people because everybody's supposed to be the same. But look, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but they're not all the same. There are good people and there are bad people. Yes, I said it on the radio. And the problem with me saying that with making these judgments is that we're looking at these people from their morals and their ethics. Is it in their morals and their ethics to fulfill the agreement they made with you? They're saying, I won't wreck your house and I will pay you. Now, if you do business with somebody that tells you up front, they won't tear up your house and tells you they will pay you. And then they do tear up your house and they don't pay you. How can you, Fall onto your either religious sword or your Democrat, all people are equal sword, and say all people are the same. They're not. And so the secret is looking at their past and seeing who they've already messed over in life. And when you see they've messed somebody over, you have to realize you're next. Because if they did it once, it's very likely they'll do it again. Right? So... There are good morals. People have great morals. There's people that have good morals. There's people that have great ethics. There's people that have good ethics. Most people, when they first get into real estate, think that all the good people are themselves, that the landlords are all the good people. That's not the case. There's as many bad landlords out there as there is bad tenants. There's landlords that have no ethics. Their product is terrible. Their price is unfair. And they have a bad price-product ratio. Now, as I started teaching this stuff to people, people got me wrong. They didn't understand what I was saying. And so they started to impute their own prejudice into this. And they started going, yeah, I know this race of people are pretty bad as a race, as a whole, and so I'm not going to rent to them. Or this age of people are really pretty bad, pretty dangerous to do business with, 
as a whole, so I'm not going to do business with them. And this uh, nationality of people are pretty outrageous, and so I'm not going to do business with them. And I couldn't get it across to these people because they kept wanting me to tell them who these people were because they're not one race, they're not one age, they're not one sex, they're not one religion, they're not one nationality. They're everybody who has bad morals. And so what you see is that I had to come up with a way to get that across to people. So I came up with something everybody could wrap their arms around. I call bad people Purple Martians. You know why I picked that name, Purple Martians? Been doing it for 34 years now. It's on T-shirts all over the country. It's all over the, you know, the real estate world. Purple Martian. I made that concept up. Why did I use Purple Martian? Because I thought they can't stick that on any one race. They can't stick that on any one nationality. They have to realize that it is not what you look like that makes you good or bad. It's not what nationality you come from. It's not what age you are. It's your morals and your values. And the only way you can see morals and values is not look at a person. It's look at what they've done with their life in the past. We call this screening tenants. Yes, it's still out there. And the people that are good at this business still do it. The other people have been led to believe that discrimination is illegal. Well, it is. Discrimination against certain classes of people and creating unfair advantages because of those classes is illegal. But there's no class in Purple Martian. Do you understand that? There is no class in that definition. Purple Martians are simply one thing, bad people. That's it. Now, I'm in real trouble if one of these balloons that they shoot down is filled with purple Martians, because then they'll probably make that a protected class, and I'm going to have to come up with a new name for all these people. I don't know what I'm going to call them, but I probably should start thinking about that in case all of a sudden we have purple Martians. So, guys, we're not making illegal judgments on people. We're making good, sound business decisions based on past history, what people have done in the past, right? Say, well, what about a second chance, Dell? We give second chances. I even have given third chances. But what I do is I make the security deposits massive because think about it. I tell people this. You go, I can't believe you would ask a, a bad person for a large security deposit because bad people don't have money. Whoa, stop. That's not true. Bad people have lots of money. They didn't pay the landlord they just came from. They didn't pay their income taxes last year. Uh, they, They steal. They sell drugs. Bad people have money. No, yes, they do. And so I've had properties where I was willing to take bad people because that was the only people that lived in that neighborhood. And I had to or I didn't have any tenants. When we come back, I'll explain to you how you do that in a fair and legal manner. We'll be right back with the Del Wamsley Radio Show. Teaching you 
with a roadmap to creating the lifestyle you really want. Keep listening. The Del Wamsley Radio Show returns in moments. I was at a seminar one time and a guy was sitting up there and he was saying, what you really need is you need the young, aggressive entrepreneur people to go out there and take that money and invest it with them. I walked up to the front of the stage and I said, hey, I'm that guy you're talking about that should be mentoring these people on how to do this. The guy goes, sir, we don't allow solicitation. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm here to tell you I'm exactly the guy you were telling them to look for. And I'm willing to help them for nothing. And the guy goes, if you don't stop soliciting, I'm going to have to have security come and get you. And I said, I can see you're a scam. I'll just leave. Everything I said had gone through the intercom. So I walked out of the seminar room and 200 people followed me. And that's how Lifestyles are started. Are you ready to get up and follow Dell? Join us today at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. You're hearing the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more life-changing knowledge? Access our podcast and listen on demand at lifestylesunlimited.com under the radio tab. Now your host, Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're talking about my three rules to success. And the first one is never lose money. And we're discussing how to do that. We're now on the topic of tenants, how to screen tenants. And as we went to break, I told you that I would share with you how you can deal with purple Martians, which are bad people, which end up being bad tenants, and you have to deal with them in a fair and legal manner. Now, when you screen them and they don't screen through, now you are required to do something that most landlords don't do. Most landlords go, boy, this person looks pretty bad on paper here. I think I'll just try to go after them and get something out of them to make it safer, like I'll get a larger security deposit. You've just created an infraction because you've picked a person out of the air and you could have picked that person and not someone else that was in that same boat. You made them a deal that wasn't exactly the deal you made somebody else. And all of a sudden you got a discrimination lawsuit against you. What you have to do is say, look, let me explain to you this. I did your screening, and unfortunately, you failed. You are not eligible to lease this unit under the terms that I'm offering the unit at. I'm really sorry. Um, I hope you find some place that's comfortable. And if the person goes, well, is there anything I can do? You say, look, I do have alternate leasing options. I can show you what they are if you like. And when you originally took their information to screen them, you gave them the screening criteria in writing or it's on your website in writing where they can see it and they have to click through it to fill out the application. Clicking through means we agree that I've read this. I understand what the criteria are. Now, you've already gone through that criteria with them. That's a done deal. They didn't meet the criteria, but now you pull out a different set of criteria. And for an example, just some of the stuff I've used in the past, I had a place where just about everybody had broken leases. And I said, if I don't rent to people that have broken leases, I'm never going to be able to rent anybody. So I did a deal where it was our secondary program, our we call it the broken lease program. If you had a broken lease, one broken lease, you pay the normal security deposit plus an extra thousand bucks. If you had two broken leases, in other words, you messed over two landlords already, 
then you pay the normal deposit plus $2,000. And if you had three broken leases, then you'd pay $3,000. Obviously, after three leases, I go, you know what? I don't think the second chance worked for you. Even the third chance didn't work for you. You've already messed people over three times. You know, am I going to be number four, number five, number six, number seven? You know, I don't think so. I think we're just going to have to agree that this system isn't going to work very well for you. And besides the fact that it's pretty hard to get more than $3,000 out of people for a security deposit for an apartment. Now, for houses, that's not the case. You can get, I've got as much as uh, six months worth of rent now. That's in a dollar amount. It wasn't actually six monthly payments of rent. It was, okay, you rent a thousand bucks, so I got six thousand bucks from somebody, that type of a thing, in advance as a security deposit. And by the way, you need to make sure that that's a security deposit. They know it's a security deposit. It says it on the lease that it's a security deposit because they're at risk for losing that if they don't take care of their business the way they should. It is not six monthly payments that they can use that money towards rent when they don't want to pay rent. It's not that. You've got to make sure that's perfectly clear. So think about it a year from now. You've paid all your rent payments. You didn't destroy the place. You clean it up before you move out. And I give you back 6000 or 3000 bucks. I'm giving you a good rental history so that you can go to your next landlord and say, please call Del Wamsley. He'll tell you I, I, I was a tenant there for a year. I know I've got some blemishes in the past, but I was with Del Wamsley for a year. Ask him. I went through his credit restoration program. They would get back this piece of paper, just the, the, the look on their face when they would turn in the keys. And I'd go, no problem. Hold on. Let me go here in the office. I'd go in the office. I'd print up their ledger. Okay, they paid. They don't owe us any back rent. Oh, there's a late payment. They didn't pay us. They owe us $10 for that late payment. Uh, okay, here. Oh, yeah, that's right. They did. They uh They took the batteries out of their smoke detector for their kids' toys at Christmas. We had to put new batteries in, so we charged them $4 for batteries. Uh, All right, what else we got here? Okay, yeah, their kid threw a rock through the window, broke a window, we replaced the window, and that cost them $100. All right, here's your ledger. You gave us $1,000 security deposit. We took out $147.16. Here's the balance. Been very nice doing business with you. If you ever need a referral, have them get in touch with us. We'd be happy to give you a referral as a you know, tenant moved out in good status. People would cry. Literally, people would cry right there on the spot. You're really going to give me back my security deposit? Yes. That was the deal we made. And you're going to give me a, a good rental history or a good rental reference? Absolutely. I told you I was here with my credit restoration program, or I was here with my broken lease program to help you mend your situation, not to hurt you, but to help you. And so, yeah, I'm very happy that you were able to mend your habits and that we had, you were just a great tenant for us. I'm really happy about that. And I want you to be very happy that you had leased from me and had been one of my customers. So go out and tell your friends, tell everybody, I'll tell you what happened. It was no time at all before I was full and stayed full with a waiting list. Whereas other people were 20% vacant, 30% vacant, you know, 70% occupied, 80% occupied, and they couldn't fill their place up. Same neighborhood, same people, same credit scores, same broken leases. But the difference was I had a plan and I had a program. And my program did one really crazy thing. It helped other people. Do you realize that in the past, for 30 years now, we've been helping people go out there and buy a piece of real estate, and we're buying it below what it's worth the day we buy it? 
Now, how do you lose when you buy something below what it's worth? So let's just take it at the simplest level to start with. Then we'll make it more complicated here. You've got someone that needs to get out of their house for whatever reason bad. And so they're willing to put it on the market to move it quickly. And we just happen to be the person that buys it. And so it's worth, I'm just making up numbers now, make it easy for your brain. Let's say it's worth $100,000 and we buy it for $80,000. Well, we've just made $20,000. Say, well, but you didn't until you sell the house. I I understand that. It's called realized and non-realized, unrealized income versus realized income. But the unrealized income is going to be realized at some point for us. We know that. And we know that we've made that money. We then turn around and have positive cash flow. So what really makes this thing crazy is the way we use leverage. So if I can go out there and borrow the money to buy this house, and I buy it for $80,000 and it's worth $100,000, I made $20,000, but what if I can borrow all the money to do that and I can get that done in, by, by getting a conventional loan for part of it and then a hard money loan for the down payment part or a, down, a hard money loan for the whole thing? What if somebody just lends me the money to buy the thing? Now I've got no money out of pocket. Now, I've made all that money with none of my own money invested. Pretty interesting. But let's say I need to do some rehab in the deal. All right. Let's say they sold it for 80000 because they knew there's $5,000 worth of stuff that had to get fixed. And they weren't willing to put up the 5000 bucks to fix their own house. So they're willing to take the haircut and sell it for eighty, but it needs $5,000 worth of repairs. So whether I, I, I buy this thing and I use leverage to buy it so I don't have any money out of pocket, but now I spend the 5000 bucks to fix it. Now I've made $20,000 on a $5,000 investment. Now, let's make it even crazier. What if the hard money lender will lend me the money to buy it and the money to do the rehab? Again, now I've made $20,000 with nothing invested, right? This just gets crazier and crazier, guys. Now, let's say that there's so much rehab that the house is worth, it's, let's say it's worth 200000 and I buy it for one fifty because there's just a ton of stuff wrong with it. And so I go out there and the lender will lend me enough to buy it some of the rehab money, but not all of it, because the risk is too high. The lender is taking more risk than they want to take. They want us to take part of the risk, right? They want us to have what they call skin in the game. And so they say to us, look, you know, there's a $50,000 gain. We see it. You know, we do this for a living. You do it for a living. We know it's worth 50000 more once it's fixed up. But there's, you know, $20,000 worth of rehab or $30,000. let us just say twenty, make it easy. And uh, we're only willing to give you 10 of that. So we'll give you the 150000 to buy it. We'll give you 10 of the rehab. We want you to put 10 of your own money in the deal. So I put 10 of my own money in the deal. They lend me $160,000. And I do the rehab. And now it's worth 200000 I bought it for what? I bought it for one fifty. I put twenty thousand of rehab in it, so I now am I'm what we call all in for one hundred seventy thousand dollars. It's worth two hundred. I just made thirty thousand dollars on a ten thousand dollar investment because I only have ten thousand dollars in this deal. So I've made a three hundred percent rate of return. Now think about what your financial planner is doing with your money. It's doing nothing like that. Now let's take a look at cash flow. 
Now I make $500 a month positive cash flow, which is $6,000 a year on that $10,000 investment. That's a 60% cash on cash return. I'm getting a 60% return as if I had a bond or a savings account or a CD that was paying me 60% return. That's unbelievable. In fact, it's almost impossible for you to believe. That's why everybody doesn't do this. Go, if it's that easy, why doesn't everybody do it? First of all, most people don't even believe it can be done. And secondly, you have to know how we do this. You have to learn our pattern recognition systems. We know what was a de- what is a deal and what's not a deal. We know what something will cost to do the rehab and what it when it's too much to make the deal make sense. We have pattern recognition that tells us that this is or is not the deal we should do. Now, once you learn that pattern recognition, you're going to be amazed because these deals are all around you. You just don't see them because you don't know what you're looking for. You don't know what you're looking at even. I would liken it to this. Have you ever bought something, let's say, like a new uh, Toyota Corolla? Before you bought that Toyota Corolla, you never even seen a Toyota. Now, all of a sudden, you see them everywhere you look. You bought a blue car for the first time. You said, nobody drives a blue car. You buy one. Now, there's blue cars everywhere. That, my friend, is called pattern recognition. We have that for real estate, and that's why we, that do it right, never lose money. Interesting thought, huh? How would you like to start out your day, your investment life, with that rule? Rule number one, never lose money. I think that's a good place to start. And I think if you follow just that one rule, you'll be a lot happier than what you are right now with your money in the stock market, with your money in a rent house you didn't know how to buy, with your money anywhere and everywhere that it's at massive risk. So, what do you say? You ready to try it my way? You ready to make the commitment that you don't want to lose money ever again? That you'll stop giving your money to your stockbroker and your financial planner? (laughs) To your smart uncle? Or your dumb attorney? I hope so. But remember, it's not just the money. It's the lifestyle. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you tomorrow. Listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more of Dell's unconventional wisdom? Go to lifestylesunlimited.com and click the radio tab. Listen to past shows, hear podcasts on demand, and find out how you can change your life today. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show is part of the Lifestyles Unlimited Radio Network. The information and opinions you hear on the Del Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Del Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Del Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Del Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.